So Jesus, ask that you would speak to us through your word, help us to follow you more, help us to live in confidence that you are Lord and that you deliver. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to say hello to those of you who are watching online and those of you in the room and say happy Father's Day to uh, everyone. Every year, my wife and I get cable, but only for six months out of the year, just for baseball season. Do you know you could do that? Every April, we sign up, and every September, we cancel it. We cancel it in September because we watch the Mariners, and Lord knows we won't need it in October. <laughs> that would be an example of low expectations. So I want to start the sermon by asking you a question. Where is it that you have low expectations? Not of the Mariners, because that's just an empirically demonstrable, reasonable thing to have, but of what Jesus can do. Because when we have low expectations of what Jesus can do, it keeps us in bondage. Let me explain. Say, for instance, that you face some financial, health, or relationship issue. If you have low expectations of what Jesus can do, then we're going to remain in a prison of worry and fear rather than living fearlessly because we're trusting that Jesus is mighty to save. Or maybe you feel shame over things, you know, something that you've done in the past. Sometimes we feel guilt over that. If we have low expectations that Jesus is able to cancel out our sins, then we'll remain in a prison of guilt. Or, or maybe you're bored and you just want more adventure in life. If we have low expectations that Jesus can give us a life of meaning and adventure as we partner with him in his rescue mission, then we're going to look for a thrill somewhere else. Maybe it's a sexual affair that wrecks our families. Or maybe it's just buying more toys, more vacations, and never feeling satisfied. Here's the thing. Our lives will only be as big as our God. And if we have a small God, we will have small lives. So let me ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big are your expectations of what God can do? And that's what's going on in the, in the story that we read today where God delivers the apostle Peter from jail. Now, I got to be honest, when I get to a story like this, sometimes I can have a hard time believing it. You know, angels, doors opening automatically. I and mean, I'm sure God does that. It's just I've never seen it. And so I read a story like this and it can be hard to believe. And that would make me feel like a bad pastor, except for the fact that nobody in the story believes it either. Right? I mean, Peter doesn't believe he's been released. He thinks it's a vision. The people back in the church don't believe it, even though they've been praying for Peter's release, right? Which is sort of funny, right? They're all there praying, oh, Lord, deliver Peter, right? And then the servant girl says, Peter's here. And they say, no, God can't do that. Oh, Lord, deliver Peter. I remember at my former church, one time a man said to several of us assistant pastors that we should make a videotape for the congregation in case the rapture happened. Because if the rapture happened, then people left behind would come to church wanting to know what to do, and we should make a video of the pastors giving them instructions. And my wife said, oh, don't worry, the pastors will still be here. <laughs> Just want to make it clear, that was in my former church, right? Like, here we'd all be gone for sure, right? Low expectations. But sometimes there are good reasons for our low expectations, aren't there? Because sometimes bad things really have happened, and it didn't seem like God was helping out at all. I mean, look how this story starts. King Herod executes James, who was one of their friends. So their low expectations, the people's low expectations sort of make sense, right? Presumably they prayed for James. He got executed. Why is it going to be any different with Peter? And just as an aside, this is part of the reason I think this, the whole Bible and this story as an example is historically reliable. Because if you were making this up, James would not have been killed. 
If you were making this up, everyone would believe that Peter got out of prison instantly instead of leaving him outside knocking on the door. Plus, there are all these details that smack of eyewitness accounts. You know, things like Peter raising his hand to silence the crowd. You don't put those tiny details in a story you're making up. This story sounds historically accurate, and it's very realistic. And it gives us some good news about how we can break out of the prison of our low expectations so that we can live fearlessly knowing that our God can do amazing things. And the first thing this story tells us is that in spite of our low expectations, God has already set us free. God has already set us free from whatever bondage we face. We are already free, right? So let's live that way, even if because of our low expectations, we don't believe it. Again, that's what's going on with Peter. He's free, but he doesn't believe it and he doesn't act on it. Text says that the angel shows up, taps him on the side, wake up, and then the chains fall off Peter's wrist. Now, you would think once the chains were off, Peter would jump up and run out of prison, wouldn't you? But that's not what he does. He's, he seems to just sit there. So the angel has to kind of get him going, and it's almost comic, right? The angel says, put on your clothes and your sandals, right? And Peter did so. But apparently he just stood there again. So the angel said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Right? And I'm sure that was the tone of voice. If you read the Greek, there's a subtle eye-rolling thing that's going on there. In the, in the, there in the Greek, that's why I went to seminary, so I could figure that out. But it's just this kind of step-by-step deal because Peter didn't think it was really happening. That's a great metaphor for us. Jesus' death and resurrection has set us free from the chains of sin, free from the chains of our past, free from the chains of our old identities, but we still linger in those prisons, don't we? For instance, maybe it's some sin that we have committed, and we say, man, I am just defined by that sin. We think of ourselves as the, as the porn addict or the alcoholic or the liar or the divorced person or whatever it is. Or maybe it's a label that we've been given. Someone in our past labeled us dumb or loser or ugly or whatever, and we act as if that's true in spite of the fact that that's not what God calls us, God's name for us. Like Peter, the chains are off, but we linger in the prison. You have heard it said that we are all sinners saved by grace. If you've gone to church, you've probably heard that before, right? We're all sinners saved by grace. Wrong. Terrible theology. Better theology would be you were a sinner, but Jesus set you free, and now you are an adopted son. You are an adopted daughter of God. Romans 6, we are those who have died to sin. It's dead. Romans 8, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughterhood. So we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That is your true identity. You are not a miserable sinner saved by grace. You were a miserable sinner, but Jesus paid the price for those sins, so now you are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High King. That doesn't mean that we don't sin. Of course we do. It just means that's not our identity. And it doesn't mean that from here on out, life is just going to be, you know, you know, health and wealth and all of that. No, I mean, you know, Peter gets out of prison, but there's no Cadillac waiting to drive him away. What it does mean, though, is we're free. That's our identity. We might say, I don't feel like a son or daughter of the Most High King. Well, that's because we still live out of our old identities. This certain trauma that happened or this mistake I made, man, that's what defines me. You may think, well, I don't feel like sin is dead in me. I mean, maybe it has a low-grade fever, but it's not dead. Right? Well, that's because we're living out of our old identities. If we think that we are miserable sinners, we're going to act that way. But if we think that we were sinners, but now we are sons and daughters of God, then we're going to act like that. I have a good friend who had been going through a really tough season in his marriage. 
On top of that, he felt like a failure in his career and, and, and pretty depressed every time I got together with him. And w- one day, though, about five months ago, I met with him, and he had this big smile on his face. So I said, well, what happened? And he said that a few weeks earlier, he'd ended up in a huge fight with his wife that ended with him spending the night on the couch. And as he lay there by himself, he just kept praying the same thing over and over, you know, basically help, you know, just help God. And he said that while he did that, he got this sense of God the Father's presence right there with him. And those verses from Romans that I just quoted started popping in his head, and he kept thinking, I'm a son of the Most High God. And he said it just made him feel different about himself. Like he didn't have to compare himself to other people. And then, and then in the morning, he got up, and it was easier to, he felt different toward her, easier to love her. And he thought, you know, why would I fight with her? I am a son of the Most High God. I am her encourager, her defender, the one who can empower her to thrive. Why am I acting different than I actually am? So he started treating her as a prince would treat a princess because that's who they really are. They are sons and daughters of the king. And now he says his marriage has never been better. He's never felt more energized in his career, never felt more at peace in his own skin. You see, Jesus loosened the chains off my friend 2,000 years ago at the cross, but he didn't walk out of the prison until back in January. Your identity is not wounded, failure, loser, stupid, shameful, whatever it is. Your identity is that you are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. And the more you get that and the more you act like that, the more you realize it's true and that you are already free. Which brings me to the second piece of good news that this passage shows us, and that is God is not limited by our low expectations. And boy, howdy, is that good news or what? God is not limited by our low expectations. You know, the people who were praying for Peter to get, to get out, you know, they, they had low expectations of what God could do. And I always imagine that they were probably praying prayers, sometimes the kind of prayers that I pray. You know, oh Lord, comfort Peter if you can. Help it not to hurt too much when they chop off his head. <laughs> right, low expectations. But God exceeds expectations which incidentally is the title I gave this sermon, only I didn't think about how that would look when it was printed in the bulletin. So it says, sermon exceeds expectations. <laughs> kind of presumptuous of me, huh? How are we doing so far, right? I meant God exceeds our expectations. God is not bound by our past. He is not bound by our fears. He is not bound by our present circumstances, which means that we can live fearlessly because our God is mighty to save and he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond you or I can ever ask or even imagine. Sometimes people are miraculously healed. It's happened many times in this church. I have seen marriages that looked hopeless be restored through the power of Jesus. God is not limited by our low expectations. Now, I know that begs the question, well, what about when bad things happen? And why did James die and Peter get set free? And and those are good questions. And the Bible is not afraid to ask those questions. And I don't have all the answer, but I know that a piece of it is this. Regardless of our circumstances, the miracle God always does is to make us closer to him. He cares most that we know him and that we become like Jesus. And that's what happens for both Peter and James, just in different ways. God doesn't spring Peter from prison just for Peter's convenience, but so that Peter can know God better and be part of God's rescue mission. And it's the same for James, just in a different way. Death is not the ultimate tragedy. We're all going to die. And maybe James had grown enough in his character and he'd become enough like Jesus that he was ready to go be with Jesus forever, which is the ultimate freedom, the ultimate healing. God is not limited by our low expectations, and he will set us free one way or the other. Why? 
because he is the God of rescue. That is his identity. He is the God who rescues us and then asks us to be part of his rescue mission. As many of you know, the Jubilee Reach Center, which is a Christian organization this church started, was invited by the Bellevue School Districts last year to run all the sports programs in Bellevue Public Middle Schools. Now, we had no idea when we started how much money this would take, how, much, how many hours, how many volunteers we needed, and along the way, there have been a few mistakes. So some folks were wondering, well, how's this going to work out? Kind of low expectations, right? Big thing, kind of low expectations. But all year, JRC has been running the sports programs in the Bellevue Middle Schools, using a model called biblical coaching that emphasizes character more than skills and more than winning, and using all Christian coaches. Now, we, the school district has asked that we don't talk about Jesus on campus. We abide by that, but they all know that we're Christians. The coaches work with students kind of to help forge their character. So for instance, things like, you know, after every game, they do these things called attaways, where students will, will, will kind of praise other students for the good things, affirm other students, even students on the opposing team for the good things they've seen. So things like, hey, goalie, you blocked every shot I tried to make. Kind of frustrating, but attaway. Or, hey, you, number seven on the other team, don't know your name, but man, you hung in there even when things were really hard. And then everyone claps and says attaway. Right? They even clap for the refs. I mean, one referee said that, you know, came up to one of the coaches. He said, you know, I have been refing for years. All I get is yelled at by students, yelled at by parents, never applauded. I don't know who you people are, but I like you. <laughs> well, now the school district has released the data on this program. Almost without exception, every kid who participated in this program raised their reading and math scores by almost two full grade levels. They just needed someone who loved them. They just needed someone who cared. Not only that, but gang activity has ceased in the middle schools. There is gang activity in Bellevue Middle Schools, right? especially Highland, and now no gang activity at all. They also track the kids who, this is just in a year, okay? They track the kids who participated last year in the pilot program and are now in high school. They tracked them into high school. The lessons they learned last year have stuck with them into high school. So now all the principals are saying, we want more of you, okay? More, you know, more, more of you guys come on, more coaches. We want chess club, math club, right? They're even giving the coaches offices in the public schools. I could pause on that for a moment, okay? You know, what they're actually saying is we want more Christians in our schools. Okay, this is in Arkansas. Okay, it's not like we're in the Bible Belt here, all right? I mean, we're like in, you know, least church, all of that stuff. A few weeks ago, some of us on the board were reviewing these amazing results and also admitting that along the way we'd made a few mistakes. Nothing, nothing terrible, but just, you know, some, some mistakes. And we said, wow, right? like God did all of that and we were kind of screwing up. Imagine what he could do if we got our act together. <laughs> God is not bound by our low expectations. He exceeds them, which means we do not have to stay in our prisons of fear and shame and worry and whatever it is, because he has taken those chains off already. We're already free. He can do that. So practically speaking, how do we experience our freedom? How do we live fearlessly because we know that our God is mighty to save? Three quick things. First, you've got to know God's promises. And to do that, you've got to read Scripture. Second, ask the Holy Spirit to help you act on your true nature, not the lies of the enemy. Like my friend who was fighting with his wife, but then asked the Holy Spirit to help him act as a son of the Most High God and treat her accordingly. 
Or if you're feeling shame over something you did, ask the Holy Spirit to help you say, no, Jesus paid the price for those sins 2,000 years ago. Those no longer define me, not who I am. Know God's promises, act on your freedom. And third, you need others around you to remind you that God can exceed expectations. You know, in this story, the prayers needed the servant girl to point out to them the fact that their prayers had already been answered. Get some folks who can remind you that God is not bound by our low expectations. I was with a friend a couple of months ago, and I'm embarrassed to say I was worrying about a sermon that kind of wasn't coming together. And you know, it's like, it's like I got four kids instead of three. Right? There's Holly, Jackson, and Lucy, and then this brat named Sermon. And, and how my week goes depend on how Sermon is doing. How does Sermon feel this week? Right? Well, this particular week, several months ago, Sermon was acting out, right? And I'd prayed about this, but it didn't seem like God was helping, which is kind of annoying. I mean, what's the point of being a pastor if you don't go to the front of the line when you need something, right? I mean, really. And I was sharing this with my long-suffering friend, and he said, you know what? You are listening to the lie of the enemy. God works even when we feel Weak. And I said, yeah, I got evidence sometimes that's not true. I mean, I get emails sometimes, right? So then he told me about a mutual friend of ours who feels like she's not worth loving because those were the messages she got from her parents growing up. And he said, does she have evidence that she's not worth loving? Sure, but that's still not true. That's not the truth of what's really going on. And then he said, someone once said, fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. You know who said that? I did in one of my sermons. And that is one of the worst things about being a pastor, because just when you're getting a good sin on, someone goes quoting you to you. Very annoying. But as soon as he said it, I, I was reminded of that truth, that God works even when we're not at our best, and it eased my worries. Know God's promises. Act on the truth of who you really are, and get some folks around you to help you do that. There's a woman in our church who I'll call Teresa, whose permission I have to share this story. And several years ago, she left her marriage to an abusive man. She had two kids, she had two kids no money, no job, no friends. And she said she'd come to the point where she didn't even believe there was a God, let alone a God who cared about her. Low expectations with some good cause. Well, she started searching the internet for something to, to kind of take her mind off of all of, her, all of her problems. And what she found were websites where men promised to discipline and punish women. Very dark, very dangerous. She said she knew it was dangerous, but she just needed to feel something, and so it was attractive. She says, frankly, I was hoping that someone would do something really harm me, do significant harm to me, sort of like you would an animal just to put it out of its misery. Well, one day she arranged to meet a man that she didn't know in downtown park in Bellevue. And when he got there, he opened the door, and he, her car door, and he said to her, who can save you now? And she laughed, and she said, are you kidding? Even God doesn't have a use for me. Nobody can save me. At which point his eyes kind of fear, filled with tears, and he said, no, no, on that one you're wrong. And she said she realized that what she said had triggered something inside of him. And he said that he was a Christian, but that he'd wandered away. And then for the next hour, he told her how much Jesus loved her. And then he said that he knew a good church that could help get Teresa on the right road and, and that it had a great children and youth program for her kids to help them know Jesus. And he made her promise that that very day she would get herself to First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue. Well, it was a Sunday afternoon, so she headed here thinking to herself, man, you know, here, I wanted to put myself in harm's way, do something dangerous, and the man I meet ends up being a Christian. I can't do anything right. Well, she got here around 4, found one of our custodians who connected her to one of our pastors named Terry Tripp, and one of our prayer ministers named Mary. And I'll pick it up in Teresa's words. This is what she said. 
I told them my whole sordid story and neither flinched. They held my hand, passed me a gazillion tissues, prayed with me, and reminded me what Jesus was all about. I felt the bitter resentment and hopelessness just leave me, and in those minutes, I was freed. They called it inner healing prayer, and it saved my life. Then I went to the six o'clock service. Reverend Tripp sat right beside me. The sermon was so perfect for my situation, she said that it was almost as if it was written just for me. The next week, I returned children in tow. They had no clue who Jesus was then, but today both of them have a great relationship with him. I'm thriving too. Not that my life has been nothing but a joy ride since. No, we struggle as most single parent families do, but today I have something I didn't have back then. I have a renewed faith in Jesus and a church family that loves, supports, and is always ready to get on their knees to pray with me. Even now, seven years later, Mary still checks in on me from time to time, and I know she's always there if I need her. I am certain that I would not be alive today if God had not intervened that Sunday. I started that day wishing I could be dead and ended that day and every day since glad to be alive and living in the love of Jesus. Teresa had low expectations that Sunday seven years ago with some good reasons. But God was not bound by her low expectations. And even when she felt most trapped, God had already set her free. I mean, who knows who that man was and what triggered him to suddenly start talking about Jesus. I mean, maybe he was some kind of angel either sent by God or used by God to tell Teresa that there was a truth bigger than the lies that she was hearing, that there was a truth greater than her past, that there was a truth greater than the circumstances, and that just because something bad had happened didn't mean that bad things were always going to continue to happen, and that she was a daughter of the Most High God. She was free in Christ. Nothing could take that away because her Lord was mighty to save. So where might you have low expectations? Maybe around some problem, some relationship issue. Maybe it's a faith deal. Maybe you're just bored and you want more adventure. Whatever it is, God is bigger than you think he is. You are freer than you think you are, and God is able to do way more than you think he can if you will just step into it and act on the truth of that. One of my favorite old hymns, I think, puts it best. It says, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. But your eye diffused a quickening, quickening ray. I woke, my dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So Jesus, help us to do just that. Jesus, in your name I command, for every person in this room, I command that the lies of the enemy be silenced. That you shut the mouth of the devil that speaks the lies, that tries to tell us that we are still in prison that those chains are still on us even though you have already set us free. Lord, help us to see the truth. Help us to see the power. Help us to have high expectations of a God who delivers so that we can walk out of that prison into the light of day. And Lord, we will give you all the glory as the author of our joy. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.